Welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across the UK and Ireland, brought to you by Insurance Business. to the latest edition of IB Talk, the insurance industry podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. My name is Mia Wallace, Senior Editor of Insurance at Insurance Business. And today I'm delighted to welcome somebody who I'm sure will be familiar to many of our listeners as a long-standing advocate of the insurance profession and proposition, Stuart Reed, Chairman at Partners and and Pickle, and non-executive director at Harbour Underwriting and Claims. Many thanks for joining me here today, Stuart. My pleasure. It's lovely to have you. And as I mentioned in our introduction, you're a familiar face, if not voice, to many in the market. But it'd be great to hear a bit in your own words about yourself and your background and the work that you do to support the insurance proposition. Well, thank you. Uh, Yes. Well, uh, I've been in the industry for far more years than I would care to admit to. But yeah, as a lot of people, I fell into insurance. Uh, My father ran a small brokerage down on the south coast in Dorset. Uh, I went there for a holiday job, stayed there for three years, uh, promoted way way beyond my ability. I sacked someone and he re-employed them, so I left immediately. (laughs) And I've always loved London, so came up to London and worked for a a company up um, in Islington. And it was fantastic to see how people dealt with London clients compared to how we dealt with clients down in Dorset. In Dorset, people were very, very uh, careful about how much they spent, etc. Whereas in London, people under a certain premium were never visited. And I saw a gap in the market there. So I decided to set up my own firm and provide the service that the Dorset brokers did for the smaller clients. Um, set up my own business, Joe Alexander. Ended up some years later buying the company that I'd started work with in London and Islington. So that was quite cool. And built up a business originally based in Battersea, came to London in the city and just realised the city was a great platform to build a broking business. It's such a small area, EC3, EC4, got to know all the CEOs uh, by bumping into them in the bar or whatever of the competition and indeed the insurers and started buying businesses. Eventually sold that to AXA some 13, 14 years later and became the CEO of a business called Bluefin and thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, we went from, my business was about 160 staff, Bluefin I think built up to about 1,600, 2,000 staff and really enjoyed that. There were a few bumps along the way, but really enjoyed that. And then worked for Gallagher when the CEO there for a while, left there and uh, now I am non-exec, so had quite a wide and varied time in the industry from two-man band up to a big business. And yeah, really enjoyed it. And I have the insurance profession itself have been various roles at the CII and Bieber, the latter of which I'm very close to with Graham being the new man in, uh, the new man in charge. And I've done a lot of work with those two. So all in all, that's it, I guess. That's, that's, that's my history. It's incredible to see the amount of variety that you've had in your professional career to date. And and given your time spent serving the market, what are some of the key ways that you've seen the insurance sector change since you started your career? Oh, so much, so much. I mean, I guess the biggest is regulation. 
it was a bit cowboys and indians when we started really you know i won't go into the specifics but it, it was a very unregulated industry i've recently written about actually i think the regulation has been good for the industry that said we are probably one of the most heavily regulated industries in the country so there's a balance there and i think there's a lot that's happened recently and we need time to assimilate that and work with it so hopefully not too much significant change coming but there's been a lot that's changed. I mean, the M&A activity, to name but one, I know that's very of the moment, but it was very of the moment when I sold my business. So it does come in cycles and, you know, it's a cyclical thing. But with the interest that we've got now from the US, et cetera, looking at the UK as being a springboard into Europe and, and, and further afield, it's madness. Prices are madness. Desire is madness. But it's hollowed out that middle part of the industry, which Bluefin perhaps, or certainly my first business, Stuart Alexander, filled. So it's become a game of the small and the large, mainly due through acquisition or lack of acquisition. So I think there's a very good play now for businesses to grow from the small to the medium size. And that medium size broker, where I think clients get their best service, um, they can be closer to the clients, but they have the clout to be able to get the good deals from insurers. I think that is the next chapter to backfill into that area. And there's some notable people doing that at the moment. Um, insurer changes used to be a lot of household name insurers. Now there are very few with rumors that there may be less. And that's a disappointment. Yeah, so the supply of uh, supply of insurance has changed and is continually changing. The the rise and rise of the MGAs, you know, insurers are not sadly providing the service. I mean, someone said to me that the other day that if we gave the service to clients that insurers give us give to us, we wouldn't have any clients. And I'm sure there are notable exceptions, but it's pretty poor. And maybe, maybe we're seeing what's fascinating is that Bluefin was set up because an insurer wanted to get closer to supply and understand supply. And ultimately that strategy, that project didn't work. It hasn't worked and anybody who's done that has stopped doing it. What the reality is, I think, is it might go the other way and that insurers actually start giving their capacity out more and more, particularly to the larger brokers, but to brokers, because they've got such a heavy overhead in their businesses that it precludes them to be able to be light of foot and, and innovative and, and to service clients or brokers to the extent that they should. So maybe we're seeing the antithesis of what I was part of in that brokers become more the underwriters and the, the, the MGAs of this world. And it's, it would be very interesting to see how that develops and much more besides. I'm a great advocate of people being in work you know, if you can get into work, get in as often as you can, as much as you can, because that's the way to pursue your career. That's the way to engender trust. That's the way to learn. And we're still not there yet. And that pains me. And I think that that is one of the reasons why service is so bad. So hopefully we can get that back. But loads have changed, loads have changed. But what hasn't changed is it's a fantastic industry to be in. There's lots of opportunity. And I think it's really enjoyable. I think it's a great business to be in. And particularly in that London city area, we had such fun and still continue to do so. That's really interesting you say that because my was my next question for you. I mean, what hasn't changed since you started your career? And it does really sound like that that cultural aspect, that people aspect is what really hasn't changed all that much since you started. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been hearing complaints across the country about one particular insurer and their service. And I went to see a broker that was looking to sell. 
And I was saying, which insurers do you like, which do you don't, how are you getting on? And they were advocating this particular insurer that I'd heard everywhere else was particularly poor at the moment. And I said, well, look, you know, this is a bit of a shock. Why is it? And he said, well, it's the person that's dealing with us. You know, there's this huge monolith of an insurer, but if you get the right contact, there, if you get someone who's prepared to go that extra mile, you build that relationship of trust and whatever. It's amazing that one person can buck the trend of this huge PLC. And it's the same, not just in that, it's the same right across the spectrum. You know, one of the things I enjoyed in, in working with a CII and working with Bieber and being in a broker in the city was that I got to know my competitors. And we became great friends, you know, uh, with <laughs> probably a few notable exceptions, but we became good friends. Indeed, Phil Bond, who's the CEO of Partners and where I'm chair, we were competitors for years. And I used to hate the way he was good at this and love the way he was bad at that. And he used to similarly with me. And and you transgress that that petty competition. And it works very well because you naturally clash as businesses. And if you have got some trust or some friendship with those in the senior role, you're able to reach out and actually resolve things to the best of both businesses rather than have this sort of internecine warfare that might go on. So, yeah. The biggest thing for me in this business that hasn't changed, and it's an old thing that everybody says, is it is a people business. And uh, again, perhaps why I advocate so much for people where they can, when they can, to get in and meet people and, 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 and build their own personal, as it were, portfolio. And I wonder, from your perspective, has what it takes to be a great insurance professional who's really on the front lines of, of serving clients, of looking after brokers, has that changed over the years? I think there has been a change, not necessarily in the desire of the people to do the job that they want to do, but on the pressures that they come under to do the job, perhaps sometimes in a way that they aren't happy to do. Let me exaggerate greatly, but I would suggest that there's a significant minority, a very significant minority of people out there who are working for businesses that they never chose to work for, you know, because of this acquisition. And therefore, the culture they joined, the culture that they were in part uh, creating and contributing to is completely different at, a diff uh, at another business. And therefore, the values that they believe or have learned or have enjoyed are completely different at the business they're at now. So, yeah, I think that that perspective, that that change has meant that a lot of people are finding it very awkward to do the job that they want to do. There are businesses out there that still maintain uh, what we would call core values. I'm sure the bigger businesses, and I'm I'm obviously slating the bigger businesses here, and I don't mean to. There's some very good ones out there. But there are some big businesses out there where their priorities lie in a completely different area to the people the people who work for them, where, they're, where their uh, priorities lie. But put that to one side, yeah, ultimately the CII and professional qualifications are extremely important and seen as such. Apprenticeship schemes have done a huge amount and uh, I promote it very, very uh, uh, strongly in bringing people in at a younger age uh, that aren't necessarily university educated that can learn those, those, those values early on. The CII, let's be honest, has had its own issues over the last three or four years. Uh, it's been a, bit, been a bit of a revolving chair there. But do I support them fully? Absolutely. Do they need to change a lot and become more front of foot? 
Yes. Do they need to deal with co internal conflict? Yes. But they have my full support. And I've mentioned Bieber before, and indeed the NGAA, and there are trade bodies out there that also help espouse the value set that we all want for this business. So it's not one size fits all, but I do feel that sometimes some of those values that we had those years ago are a little compromised in this brave new world, but regulation coming in has been a force and they're not going to accept that. They're going to demand that things are done correctly. So we shall see. We shall see. And you touched on the work of various trade bodies and really opening up more access routes to insurance. And are you seeing that access to insurance careers is greater than it was when you started your career? I'd like to say yes. Um, and there's been a lot of work in this field. You know, people tend to, I, even I did, didn't I, when I started this conversation, say, so, well, I fell into insurance and uh, and whatever, which I suppose is, it, it, it is true, but ultimately I chose to stay in it. Um, and I chose to stay in it because I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think we're sometimes a little bit hesitant about how brilliant it is, how brilliant the industry can be. It's so wide ranging, you know, Lloyd's International, satellites down to roller skates, we can insure the law. And... Yeah, I feel we're a little bit back of foot. I think we should do more work with the universities. We should keep going with this apprenticeship scheme. It's for internal training as well as new people. Um, and, and that, I think, should work well. I think Bieber do very well with it. I think the MGAA is becoming a force there. Mike Keating's doing an excellent job. Again, I think the CII needs to pick up the speed a little bit and promote the industry uh, more perhaps than it has. I don't want to be too harsh on them. And we've got a new uh, CEO, whatever they're called, going into the CII, and hopefully that's part of his brief. It's always been difficult because we've become, become apologists for the industry that we work in, and I don't see why. You know, Most of us out there have a great time. It's very rewarding, um, and it's never perfect. But, yeah, what a great industry. Absolutely agree with that. I think it's a wonderful profession. I really do. And you've certainly touched on a lot of the really key topics that certainly I'm hearing from my own conversations with brokers at the moment, whether that's around talents or M&A or how the insurer channel is changing. But looking at the market today, what do you see as the top topics on the agenda of insurance brokers? Well, you know, probably covered them already, but it is this insurer service. I think grabbing back the market Grabbing the ability from the insurers to be able to do it at a, in a better way, better for clients, better for the brokers, and frankly, better for the insurers. We're yet to see the results of quite a lot of change with the FCA, you know, customer duty, et cetera, and, and, and quite how that works. You know, insurers should ultimately know the value of the prop, uh, the value of their proposition, the value of the policy as it's sold at the end, quite how that works and quite how the FCA regulate. In other words, I think they're looking at gap cover. It'd be very interesting to see what I think they gave them three months. It'd be very interesting to see how that sort of pans out. I know that they're looking at other areas. Again, that would be fascinating to see. So that's interesting. M&A, you know, I cannot underestimate the amount of interest this market holds, particularly for the US. And I think it's inevitable that the big will buy the big. I mean, Aon have just done a huge deal, although obviously most of that business isn't isn't in the UK. But I think some of these private equity-backed, large, really large brokers now will come together in some way. And so that will further um, the difference between the small and the large. So filling that mid-range is something that 
you know, as a youngster in insurance, youngster, someone under 30 in insurance, what a fantastic opportunity to be able to build there. So I think that's interesting. And then we've seen the government get involved a little bit recently about the property issue and various other things. So, yeah, we've got to watch ourselves. We're, we might be, as we see it, relatively heav heavily regulated, but the government are taking a big interest in our industry and uh, better get it right. Otherwise, there could be some significant changes. So those really are the areas, certainly, I see. There's certainly a lot going on in the market about at the moment, there's, I don't, there's ever really an exception to that rule, but given the, given the variety of roles in which you serve the industry, I mean, I can't think of anybody better placed to ask this question to and ask how well prepared you think brokers, MGAs and insurers are today to, to navigate the challenges and, and seize the opportunities of the year ahead. I think quite well. You know, the beauty of the roles that I fulfill is I see businesses of different types, different colour, you know, different abilities, different opportunities. And I am constantly surprised at the depth of knowledge, the professionalism, the desire to get things right. So I think we are very well prepared. I think we're proactive rather than reactive. I think in part that's because of the SDA, you know, it's I don't think we should underestimate quite how much change that has brought in. And whilst with big companies, they have their own separate compliance team and their risk team and their, I don't know, treasury team and you name it. The smaller brokers, which to be fair, is the great majority of the brokers out there. And let's say smaller brokers are 10 to 15 staff or less. That would, I guess, uh, represent more than 50% of our brokers, if not higher, you know, at 60, 70%. That regulation hitting them when they've got a day job to run a business, to see their clients, to deal with insurers, to do whatever, has been significant. So let's see how that all pans out. You know, do the smaller brokers continue or does technology coming in make it less so? I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it, to see, what was it, Amazon or someone have just cancelled doing insurance? I appreciate that was private lines, but there's been a lot of, fear in the insurance industry that an Apple or an Amazon or someone will come in and eat our lunch, but it doesn't seem to have happened so far. I guess the biggest topic of conversation at the moment, I guess much like big data, which was a bit of a damn squib, is AI and what impact AI has. And I think there will be significant impact for that. Maybe not at the front end, you know, customers Insurance tends to be a have to buy, not a want to buy, but it tends to be complicated by its very nature. And therefore, seeing someone having it explained, particularly for a commercial concern, is for me what is needed. And I'm happy to be proved wrong, but I still believe that's the case. But paying huge amounts of money for people to underwrite when a machine can do it quicker, faster and better, has that a future? I don't know. So... And that goes against the MGA argument, I guess. I, I don't know. Certainly technology will have a massive impact to this business over the next 10 to 15 years, quite how that pans out for us as to how we deal with things. But ultimately, if you're paying 10, 15, 100, 150,000 pounds worth on insurance, doing it online is just not going to hit the mark, I don't think. So I think the future is bright for the mid to, to large range commercial. I think the smaller commercial and the private lines could be perhaps in the next 10 to 15 years transformed by the way that people access it. But hey, many of the predictions I've made in the past have been totally incorrect, so who knows? <laughs>
<laughs> I think there's a lot of very temperate and well-timed advice and considerations there for the market, Stuart, and, and a very positive note here in the early days of 2024. So thank you so much for taking the Not time to join me here today, and I hope to welcome you back to this podcast series very soon. That's very kind. Thank you, Mia. It's been an absolute pleasure, and thank you also to everybody for tuning in, and I look forward to welcoming you next time here on IB Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of IBUK Talk. You can listen to the latest episodes on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and all major listening channels. Just search for IB Talk.